0: Chapter 5. Disney Princess Jack was a wreck. Luke would have known even if he wasn't hardwired into his brother's mind by a psychic connection. Luke shook his head trying to break that connection, but Jack was having such a powerful dream, he couldn't get away from it. He tried harder to block it out, but like videos of cat tricks, porn, or a train wreck, it was hard to stop watching. Jack was replaying his greatest hits montage of his times with Beth, his girlfriend of almost a year who had turned into a psycho bitch and tried to kill him or abduct him, either one or the other or both. In all fairness, she was a psychotic mess before he met her, but he hadn't had time to process it all. The last time he saw her, she was throwing herself onto a helicopter, making her getaway from a Canadian weed farm. It had been a shitty three months for him since. For the love of God, Luke said under his breath. His brother Jack was dreaming more and more often and more vividly. And worse, his ex-girlfriend became less of a bitch and more of a saint each time. Luke could tell that Jack was rewriting history in his own head and didn't like it. Shut the fuck up, Luke yelled across the room at his sleeping brother. Jack moved a little, his tall body hanging off his old twin bed in what used to be their bedroom, which was now officially the guest room. Their parents never had any guests but them, but if they pointed that out, they'd only end up in an hour-long guilt session with their mother about how they never visited. He and Jack had a great condo in Miami, not South Beach, but real Miami downtown in a tall, beautiful glass structure near the arena where the Miami Heat played their home basketball games. Agreeing to spend a few nights with her parents was turning into a nightmare, literally. Jack turned over briefly, coming out of his dream. He was covered up by five blankets, all wadded up and stranded on various parts of his anatomy. It looked like he was having one continuous trailer park moment after another for the past two months. As much as Luke loved him, he was ready to beat the shit out of him. Luke was rescued by the sound of his mother screaming at their dog Bosco to get off the couch. Bosco flashed a thought into Luke's mind. The dog hardwired into Luke's head, just like his brother Jack. Bosco flashed a picture of a fire hydrant. His verbal skills were shit, but then again, he was a dog. Coming, Luke screamed from the bedroom, loud enough to wake Jack up he grabbed Bosco's leash and took the dog out for a walk. Bosco sniffed every blade of grass while Luke once again pondered his predicament. Being back at his family home, every childhood memory was more vivid, not that he was able to forget much of anything anymore. He walked under the large banyan tree in the front yard, the spot where his life had taken a drastic turn over ten years ago. During a summer storm, Luke and his brother, Jack, and Bosco, were struck by lightning. They both lay in a coma for over a year and awoke to find their heads crammed with the equivalent knowledge of Wikipedia. They later learned that their favorite middle school teaching assistant, a white, red-headed gnome of a guy named DeQuan McFinn, had wired them up every night to special goggles and headphones, blasting them with simultaneous information streams an unsanctioned experiment for his postgraduate work. Upon taking their placement test to re-enter high school, they passed everything and soon found out there wasn't much they didn't know. They graduated high school, clept their entire college undergrad, and started on their master's degrees by the time Jack was 17 and Luke was 15. By the time they were in their early 20s, Each had 10 or so PhDs and had been asked to teach at no less than 100 colleges and universities. They declined all of the offers, preferring anonymity, but both were seriously pissed at Quan for violating their trust. The brothers broke contact with academia and moved into the private sector, creating Glasser Consulting and taking on a myriad of complex, odd jobs for governments and large corporations forcing Quan to be their frontman, secretary, personal valet, and overall indentured servant. Quan didn't have a say about his role. After he had filled their head with legal books and case studies, they rattled off all of the Florida and federal statutes he violated by using them as guinea pigs. So he did what anyone would do in that situation, shut the fuck up and hope they'd get over it sooner than later. True, Over the years, they had softened, but they weren't ready to release Quan. He had become a valuable team member anyway, together with Eamon, their other employee. He also made a shitload of money, so where was he going to go? From down the street, Luke could tell that Jack was back to sleep and dreaming again. He was completely in his head. The fact that he was near Moscow, his psychic amplifier of sorts, made it worse. Neither he nor Jack knew if their psychic connection was the result of the lightning strike, Quan's experiment, or what. However, their ability to telepathically communicate was relatively new, and it was the sole reason they had emerged from the greenleaf debacle in one piece. But there was more, as in more gifts, as Quan and Eamon call them. Jack had developed a photographic memory and a sense for numbers which made him a fortune in the stock market. Luke had a heightened sense of human awareness, the ability to judge body language and speech patterns to know if someone was bullshitting him. Luke parlayed his gift into a fortune of his own by gambling. All told, including their consulting revenues from Glasser Consulting, they had amassed close to $100 million, and they were only in their early 20s. Their psychic connection was the last gift to manifest and was turning into a pain in the ass. Initially, it had been a sporadic connection, neither knowing how to turn it on. Luke was the first to realize their dog Bosco was the link, possibly owing to the fact that he had been hit by lightning as well. Luke had an even more special relationship with the dog and could not only communicate with Bosco in a rudimentary way, pictures, but could tap into a sense of smell, sight, and hearing. Truly fucking weird, but the gift had proven invaluable when rescuing Jack from the Greenleaf facilities. Though Bosco may have been what initially jump-started their psychic connection. It now had a life of its own. Instead of looking for ways to turn it on, they were looking for ways to turn it off, to manage it to quiet the noise inside of their head and to keep each other out. Lately, it had become like dueling stereos, too loud to make sense of any of the music. Luke pulled out his phone and dialed Quan, who was in Miami, lounging on the balcony of his condo. This fucking mind-reading thing is bullshit, Luke shouted, as he often did. When he needed to blow off steam, Quan was immensely satisfying to yell at. Quan took it in stride, calmly, because as smart as he was, he was also socially stunted, and partly because there was still a twinge of guilt for using Luke and Jack as guinea pigs. Luke continued his rant. Jack's in a trance all the time, dreaming about Beth. He's turning her into some sort of Disney princess. Worse, I can't seem to get him out of my head. He's like a goddamn infomercial that's on every channel. This shit is getting worse. This is no gift, I'm here to tell you. So tell me what you did, you asshole. You did this to us. Quan stuttered a bit, but then again, most of its thoughts were birthed like a botched C-section. I have no clue. I mean, well, I mean, the memory stuff, yeah. I mean, I did that, sure. But the other stuff, I mean, it was the lightning strike, I'm pretty sure, Quan said. Luke's eyes were glazed over listening to him. You're fucking worthless. Other than saving your butt, Quan shot back. Yeah, bite me. Technically, it was Jack's ass, Luke said, smiling, still remembering Quan's role in the Greenleaf fiasco a few months prior, enjoying a moment of mindless banter. So, what are you going to do? Stay at your parents and be miserable? Have you even heard from Colonel Rhodes? Quan asked. Haven't heard a damn thing from him. He told us to stay put for a while, but that was a few days after Canada. Truth is, I don't even know if I want to hear from him. Joining his band of misfits doesn't feel like a good next chapter, Luke said. Well, he was pushing you guys pretty hard just to go dark now. Doesn't make a lot of sense, Quan said. Yeah, I know, Luke replied realizing the truth of what Quan was saying. Both were silent for a second, letting it sink in. Luke shook it off and continued. Well, tell Eamon I need to catch up with him too at some point, dawning on Luke that he hadn't spoken with his other employee in a week. Well, he left this morning. He's in Atlanta visiting his parents for a couple of days, Quan replied. Whatever, never mind. I'll catch up with him, just... "'Stay safe and keep your eyes and ears open. "'I'm assuming Beth's still out there,' Luke said. "'Then he hung up, walked into the house, "'and was immediately accosted by his mother. "'Did you eat yet?' she asked, hands on her hips, "'voice tone somewhere between pissed off and annoyed, "'volume level eight on a scale of ten, "'which was her normal speaking voice. "'He shrank like a ten-year-old. "'Not yet. I need to run out for a few minutes.' Was going to grab Jack. Thought we'd get some lunch, Luke said, scrambling for a way to duck a protracted conversation. Nothing spun his mother up more than a discussion about food, specifically them not eating. He had to get the hell out of there. Jack was awake and lying in his bed, and he could hear his mother from across the house. It didn't take long for Luke to convince him to get dressed and get the hell out of the house. What are we doing? Jack asked telepathically, as Luke pulled his dad's old truck to a stop in the neighborhood park a block away. They sat for a moment and eyed the swing sets that they had played on and trees they had climbed as kids. We have got to figure this shit out. You're completely out of it, and I can't get you out of my head, Luke replied, talking instead of using telepathy. That bad, huh? Jack asked, already knowing the answer. You said yourself you were ready to break up with her anyway, Luke taking a quick detour into Jack's recurring dream, hating to say Beth's name in front of him. She fucking tried to kill you, tried to kill us. I can't believe you're still in love with her, Luke blurted. Jack shot Luke a disgusted look. You're seriously asking me that? Of course not. I can't control my dreams. Shit, I don't even remember them. Luke sensed that Jack was about to blow and attempted to defuse the situation. Never mind. Stupid question. It's just this connection between us now that it's been turned on. We can't manage it. We need some help. Jack slumped in the passenger seat. He knew it was a problem. Luke had barged in on him when he was sleeping too, but he never bitched about it because Luke only dreamed about sex. Getting access to Luke's dreams was like starring in Caligula. Truth was, he thought the psychic connection would fade, but it hadn't. So, what do you propose? Jack sighed. You're going to think I've lost it when I tell you, Luke replied. Ugh, the drama is killing me, Jack said. Shiv, Luke finally replied. Jack had seen the wind-up of Luke's thought before he could say it, and coughed up a laugh. "'Seriously?' he asked. "'Just because Mom and Dad haven't talked to him in a while "'doesn't mean we can't.' Jack thought about what his brother was suggesting, while Luke listened to Jack's internal dialogue, seemingly at odds with himself, and remembering Shiv fondly. Shiv was a throwback, a total 70s hippie that found his spiritual calling in Canada after going AWOL from the Army during basic training prior to getting shipped to Vietnam. Though he came across as a stoned, white-dude version of Gandhi at times, and as crazy as some of the shit was that came out of his mouth, he was insightful as hell, and had helped them through some tough times after waking up from their comas. Meditation was always a core aspect of his prescriptions. There was no doubt they owed some measure of their current success to him. Waking up and losing a year of their lives... Looking physically different and dealing with the sense of loss that accompanied their traumatic experience wasn't something they would have been able to do themselves. Shiv was their Sherpa, their guide in dealing with their emotions. But as spacey as he was at times, he was also wonderfully practical, helping them deal with the bizarre realization that they were inexplicably smarter. He was there for them as they transitioned back into school as well as for the angst and confusion afterwards when they were told their school no longer had anything to offer them. Though at the time, Shiv had no clue that Quan had essentially infused their comatose brains with the equivalent of Google's database. But he helped them put their newfound mental horsepower into perspective and showed them how to visualize a new life based on what was instead of What should have been. Without him, their company most likely would never have been formed, and they wouldn't have seen the opportunity to leapfrog the academic line as a true gift. It was Shiv that gave them the idea to start Glasser Consulting in the first place. However, they hadn't spoken with him in a long time. Their parents, or rather their mom, had a falling out with him over a meditation day they were planning. She'd gotten pissed off and hadn't spoken to him since. Their father hadn't either. Not that he had any issues with Shiv. He just didn't want to be seen as a Benedict Arnold of sorts. It was all fairly juvenile, considering he had performed their parents' wedding ceremony and only lived five miles away. Whether mom or dad are speaking to him doesn't mean anything. I just don't know that I'm up for it, Jack sighed. Even thinking about him reminds me of waking up and all the bullshit that happened. Jack sat motionless and stared straight ahead for a few moments. You know, he's a little crazy, he finally said. Crazy seems harsh. Unorthodox is more like it, Luke replied calmly. Fucking weird at least, Jack replied. He sat for a moment and continued pondering Luke's suggestion. Luke, on the other hand, knew his audience and sat quietly watching his brother perform mental gymnastics with the idea. "'Shiv?' Jack repeated. "'I guess. Maybe. Fuck, I don't know,' scratching his head, hoping the answers would fall out like dandruff. "'I do love the guy. He practically saved our asses,' Jack said. Luke finally kicked back into Luke mode. "'Don't be a bitch, you bitch!' Of course you love him. Of course, he saved our asses. He's fucking Shiv. It's going to be good, he eyeballed Jack. A sly smile crept over his face, becoming more animated. Whatever, he's fucking nuts, Jack said, smiling. And as much as I hate to admit it, he might be able to help. Shit, he used to talk about stuff like this all the time. Jack blew out a deep breath and smiled and continued. He is fucking crazy, you know. ''Yeah, he is, but so are we. It's all relative, man. What have we got to lose? I mean, really. Let's go see him,'' Luke said, grinning as he started up the car and headed to Shiv's. Jack just shook his head and smiled.